This morning we pick up in chapter 2, and we're from verse 14 to 26. Uh, But before that, why don't I lead us in a time of prayer and ask for God's help? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for this letter. Um, We thank you for the challenge it is to our hearts. And we just pray that even though it was written to a group of people who are wandering from your truth, and that won't be everyone here today, but we pray that you would move us um, to, to study this, to receive this message, because we will all at times in our life know someone that does apply to, maybe at times in the future it will apply to us. So we just pray um, that we would humbly uh, receive your message for us today. Help us to to hear you speak. Amen. So yeah, let's turn to the the letter from chapter 2 and from verse 14 to the end of the chapter. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. God cares deeply about all the things we do. God cares about the way we do them. One reason he cares is because it shows him the things we really care about. What we've seen in in this letter is that people are behaving in a way that reveals how little they seem to care about God, all the things God cares about. Now, if you've missed the earlier sermons um, as we've been going through this letter or you just want to recap, We've been asking the question, how do people end up wandering from God's truth? James' big warning in this letter is that wandering from God's truth leads to death. This is huge. But the real scary thing is that we've seen so far is that the things that cause people to wander are not the big, extraordinary things, the big, painful things, but very ordinary, everyday things. 
The big things tend to make people stronger in faith, but those everyday ones can lead to wandering. Today, as you can see from the reading, we're we're thinking about a disconnected faith. And disconnecting the faith stuff and the doing stuff is easily done. We live in such a busy existence where we feel we have very little time to cramp everything in, So it can be difficult to invest in our faith as well as the things we do. Many people feel like the things they do in life gets in the way of their faith. Having a fruitful, exciting, action-packed life in the Spirit, working with Christ in his risen ministry, well, we just don't have time for that once we've finished doing everything we need to do. Some people find that hard, but a lot of people, if they're really being honest, aren't really that bothered. They've quite neatly divided the faith stuff from the rest of life stuff. And our passage tells us that to do this would be extremely dangerous. Notice the two really striking warnings in our, in our passage. Look at 2.17. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And then verse 26. As the body apart from the spirit is dead so also faith apart from works is dead. Two things that must absolutely go together are faith and works. The faith stuff and the doing stuff are not to be torn apart. You wouldn't do it with ant and deck. You wouldn't do it with fish and chips. You wouldn't do it with beef and a nice red wine. Or perhaps more in line with this passage, you wouldn't tear out someone's heart because they're dying. Now, there's a Chinese proverb that says, one foot cannot stand on two boats. If you picture two little wooden boats, say on the water of Leith, and you have one foot in each boat, eventually as the boats separate, you'll fall. Now, when our lives are disconnected with a foot in faith stuff boat and then a a doing stuff boat, it can cause all kinds of problems. Now, maybe that's not a, a dead faith at first, but maybe it's a stretched and a thin one. What I think perhaps everyone can recognize is that at times, if this has become an issue in your, in your faith, in your life, your faith will feel a bit dry, maybe a bit lazy and a bit sluggish. And this lazy, sluggish, sloth-like faith, it has, it has a name. And its best, uh, most common name is apathy. And I think a wandering person with a faith that is in danger of death, like we see in this letter, will have shown symptoms of apathy a long time ago. And I believe that God is speaking to us all this morning about getting people moving from a faith in a potentially dangerous state of apathy to a a state of apathy to a faith in a life of activity, from disconnected faith in danger to a connected life, working by faith. So let's jump in at our first point. A disconnected faith in danger of death. So what is apathy? Well, there's a a book that I'm slowly reading through at the moment called Overcoming Apathy. And perhaps by the end of this sermon, if this message is uh, hitting you or uh, be useful for someone you know, please do grab me and I'll be happy to chat about it. Anyway... The book starts out by defining apathy as laziness of the soul, indifference or exhaustion 
the opposite of zeal and passion. And the writer examines the culture we've all been raised in these past 100 years. Over time, he says, we're getting more and more numb to the meaningful, but often alive to the trivial. We live in this paradox where we are captivated by the things we don't really care about and are lukewarm to the things that in our hearts mean the most to us. So we end up with this gap between faith, the meaningful, and what we really deep down care about, and then the things we do in life that really are comparatively quite trivial. But James speaks into this situation of disconnectedness. Look down at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a person tears apart faith and works, can that kind of faith save them? One commentator helpfully says that let's replace the word works to deeds at this point because works has the Protestant versus Catholic uh, debate of an understanding of salvation, but James doesn't. What James is examining is the fullness of response, belief and action James doesn't speak of works as something that is one way of earning salvation, but as something connected to faith itself. Faith is a verb, it's a, a doing word. And James has been all about doing things. Just turn back to chapter 1, quickly look at verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. And then down to 25. Be no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. Do things, not because the doing of things earns salvation, but because the doing of things displays our salvation. Our passage in chapter 2 from before, it was talking about showing love for God's people. Now, if you look at the illustration in verses 15 and 16, James uses it as a uh, an illustration of faith and works to show how knowing about being loving is not the same as actually being loving. So look at, look at verse 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? This is a powerful illustration of a person who has torn apart faith from works. Firstly, because it's just a very realistic situation, the person here has said loving words, but how loving is it really? Can those words keep the person warm in the bitter cold of night? Can those words fill the aching hunger pains in their, in their belly? And secondly, it's a powerful illustration because without the things they need, the food and the clothes, this brother or sister would die. And that's James' point about faith. If it doesn't have works, it's going to die. And that's the big point of the passage. If we claim to have a faith but fail to function as a person with faith, we always end up returning to, to the question of verse 14. Can that faith save? Is it okay to just sit in our apathy? Is it fine to just drift along as a, an armchair Christian, you might say? Now, at this point, I think it's, it's helpful to acknowledge just how ordinary this problem is. 
The, wish, the issue we're thinking about is not some rare, extraordinary problem that doesn't affect many people. It's a very ordinary issue that can, some, on some level, affect us all. As I said, we're asking the question, how do people end up wandering from God's truth? Well, ordinary problems like having faith and not working by faith. And just to prove how ordinary this is, who's ever asked the question, do I really need to be at church every Sunday? And I'm going to answer that with another question. Is our faith reduced to what we can get away with? Or is it about what we can give in sacrificial service? When we think, do I need to be at church? Why not think, maybe someone needs me to be there to encourage them or help them? When you think, say, after the service, oh, I'm just going to go because they all chat amongst themselves, why not think, maybe someone needs me to stay and listen to them? Apathy is, is an ordinary problem but it's not something to be left. And, and James, in his illustration, and as we've noted in, in verse 17 and 16, he uses this image of separating faith and works leading to, to death. Apathy is a, an ordinary problem, but it could be the thin end of a, a fat wedge of wandering. They are, it is an early sign of a disease that may have infected our spiritual life. Because apathy doesn't come from any good or, or holy place in our hearts. In the book, Overcoming Apathy, uh, he lists various reasons uh, why, why it might appear in our Christianity. And one of which is doubt. And he says, I have often struggled with doubt as a Christian. Doubts about God's existence, about where I'll go when I die, and about Jesus' uniqueness. And when it comes to my Christian life, very few things can take the wind out of my spiritual sails like doubt. Now, remember, in chapter 1, James has been talking a lot about doubt. James is writing to people who are doubting God can be trusted in trials, doubting that God is good and not leading them into temptation. And the problem is that it can lead to what James calls double-mindedness. Now, remember the Chinese proverb that's about trying to stand in two boats that's double-mindedness, a, a disconnectedness where we put our faith in one boat and the rest of our life in the other boat. And, and doubt not only causes that to happen, but forces the distance of separation. And not only doubt, I mean, James presents all kinds of ordinary problems. Desiring that which is, is not godly keeps us having one foot in a separate boat Maybe not even negative behaviors, but things we're, we're struggling with. Grief about someone you've lost. Unresolved conflict with someone. Maybe a lack of a discipline in your spiritual life. They can lead us to separating our faith. And this separation looks like something. This disconnected faith in danger of death has symptoms. This separation is, is not hidden as people like to think. Whatever you place outside your faith in a separate boat will open up an unhealthy space, a dry and difficult spiritual gap, and often it will look like apathy. And people notice the symptom of apathy. People notice the person who's indifferent, who's given up, who's exhausted, or just uncaring. 
And it's really hard to know what to say to them. And more likely than not, they're just going to perhaps deny it or object if you did say something. So we're on our, our second point now. And this uh, connected life working by faith. And this is where people are either going to pull things together and aim for a connected life working by faith, or they're just going to allow themselves to drift and to wander. And some will object, and James points that out in verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Now, commentators slightly disagree about this verse in terms of what this imaginary person is objecting to exactly. But my best guess about verse 18 is that James is saying some people will push back against the idea of the things they do coming under judgment. They're happy to have the great judge look upon their faith, but not upon the things they do. They might say faith stuff is is for Jesus, but the doing stuff is is a separate thing in my life. And that would work well, perhaps, with everything we've seen before. James has been examining the things they do as being bad, even though they're clearly attending church and doing the religious stuff. I think the objection, put very crudely, is they want to be religious, but they also really want to be worldly. They have divided themselves, just as they are dividing faith and works. This is what James means by being double-minded. They want one foot in the world, worldly thinking and doing, and then one foot in the church, doing church stuff. And again, to return to James's question, can that faith save? James responds to this imaginary person by saying, 18b, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. James is saying, when I come face to face with our judge, I will not have such a division. I will show him works, though imperfect as they are, as an expression of my faith. But a disconnected faith isn't not just empty and at best with hollow words of worship. As James points out in verse 19, even the devil said true things about God. At the end of our, our great pilgrimage, when we make our way, when we're making our way to our spiritual home, we will in the end find ourselves in the heavenly courtroom, and our tired and old eyes will gaze upon God and his throne as the great judge. And this is where we hope to be declared righteous in the sight of God because of our faith in Jesus. Now Before that great day, we have much ground to cover in our pilgrimage. And along the way, many will ask, is my faith the real deal? And when some people ask us that, and their love of the Lord is so obvious that it brings tears to our eyes, we will comfort them and assure them by saying, yes, do not worry. But others, like the people James is writing to, they'll need our bravery and our courage to challenge them and say, I don't know, look at the way you behave, look at the harm you're doing, look at the conflict between other brothers and sisters at church, the arguments, the lack of trust in God, the the absence of God's gracious transformation, 
your disregard for God's commands, your lack of obedience, the way you show partiality between rich and poor, your lack of love by not serving others, your absence at church, your general indifference. How can I honestly assure you of your faith? It's a challenging message, this, and James had the courage, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to write to people who needed to hear it. And for those who continue to resist the separation, the the division, the disconnectedness of their faith, James takes the courage to the next level. He says in verse 20, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And what James shows us is two examples of people in the older books of Scripture. Two people who could not be more different amongst the faithful characters in the Bible story. Abraham is the patriarch, a real big deal, in all Abrahamic religions. And then there's Rahab, who is forever known as the prostitute. Two different people on different ends of the social ladder of respectability and honor. And yet in the kingdom of God, under the gospel, they're exactly the same. Because they shared the same faith that was then followed by works. They had a faith in God that led to doing stuff, that expressed that faith. Follow me as I read 22, 24, and 26. You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, also faith apart from works is dead. You see, says James, that faith and works go together for completion, justification, and life. Faith came first, and then faith drove these people to act faithfully. Faith and works are aligned into one thing in James. They are faith. A faith that is alive is seen in a person who is working by faith. Now, this morning we sung Psalm 116 and we praise God for delivering our soul from death. That is what God has done for us. Now let us live with his presence as his grace works in our present moment. Let us ask God to help us connect what has been disconnected. Let's ask him to connect our our faith stuff and our doing stuff, and let's see what the Holy Spirit does with our once sluggish, uncaring, disobedient, lazy, apathetic faith. Let us feel the Holy Spirit excite us to be part of God's big story, a much bigger story than our individual one. Those who want a private faith, separated from a private life, may have misunderstood the call of the kingdom. Jesus said, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We are invited into a bigger story, God's story, the work of the gospel, the work of the spirit of Christ who dwells in us. And we need not be afraid. Jesus also said that he has overcome the world. The power of God moves us. The power of God sees triumph over failure, sees victory over death, 
sees strength in weakness. When our faith stuff and doing things stuff is aligned, we find a purpose. Jesus did not say, follow me, but sit back and wait till I return. Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. Jesus said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And this morning, God is saying, move away from that dangerous, disconnected faith and move towards me. Move towards a connected life, working by faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your infinite love, for your infinite grace, your unbelievable mercy that we could not compare to anything we know. But we also thank you for the challenge as we walk this great pilgrimage to return home. We thank you that you keep us on the straight paths, that your word is a light, is a lamp to our feet. We pray that you would give us the courage to give this message to anyone in our life that, that needs it. We pray that you would help us to receive it ourselves if we are wandering in any way. And we pray that as we finish our service today and as we praise you, that we would do so with our whole heart. We thank you. Amen.